We have daily stand-ups, which do a lot of times in the second half have brainstorming that is associated with it. We have Slack. Uh, we hop on huddles and, you know, use all of those technologies to connect. You know, Erica, I got to say, I 100% agree with Gina on this. Collaboration is really key. And as we're going to hear, collaboration is really key to what she and her agency, the Craftsman Agency, have really mastered, which is storytelling and surprise and delight with social. We go into so many different ways where she's collaborating with different creators, different partners, different clients, and how they really bring these big, amazing campaigns that just drive so much social engagement. I loved this episode. I thought it was really great. Um, and, and I know you do too, especially being on the agency side and driving that surprise and delight from the community management perspective as well. I, I don't know. I thought this was a great episode um, and totally different than some of the conversations we've had recently. You know, I think when you work in the agency world, it is safe to say it takes a village partnerships, collaboration, incredible communication, laying out a plan, seeing it through, knowing your objectives at the start can really help you build big and beautiful campaigns that land you success in ways that you didn't even anticipate from the beginning. So yeah, really exciting episode to talk to Gina a little bit more about some of the strategies behind collaboration and partnerships and how they surprise and delight through all of that. Um, such a fun time. We, we hope that all of our social pros can really take something special away. Absolutely. Now, of course, we already mentioned that we're talking to Gina today, but to specify, we are speaking with Gina Miknovich, who is the CEO and Chief Creative Officer at the Craftsman Agency, and they've done big work for Disney, um, Cisco. I mean, big movies. You've seen their campaigns. I know when we start talking about them, you're going to be like, oh, I can't believe that they did that. So definitely going to want to tune in to hear what Gina has to say and all the amazing advice that she has for you all today. But of course, before we get into the show, if you're looking for a partner to help you really surprise and delight your audiences, you absolutely need to go check out ICUC. That's because they are the experts in online and social media community management, and they're here to remind the world there are real humans behind brands. ICUC creates a space where tech meets human power by moderating, listening, and holding real conversations with customers on behalf of enterprise brands at a global scale. ICUC provides strategic support and fills customer care gaps as an extension of your team 24 7, 365 days a year, in any language, and on every social channel. Head to icuc.social to see how they can support you. That's icuc.social. And of course, time is very, very precious in this changing landscape that we call social media. That's why uh, the team at Convince and Convert, we created a free social media bundle that you will help you execute an A-class social audit in no time. This social bundle is free and it includes a social media valuation checklist, an ebook with all of the social media metrics that really matter content calendar templates, and a social media policy template. You can download that free bundle today at bit.ly slash social audit bundle. That's bit.ly forward slash social audit bundle, all lowercase. And of course, now let's go ahead and get into it. We have Gina Miknovich, CEO and Chief Creative Officer at the Craftsman Agency. Gina. 
Gina, you know, we are so excited to have you on our Social Pros podcast today, truly because just hearing from agency leaders and all the incredible work that you're doing in social, it's so inspiring. We're in a unique time. Social is very active and growing, and there's new platforms, new things moving and shaking. And to talk about creative and all the incredible work your team is doing is something we've been looking forward to for quite some time. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, about the crafts, Craftsman Agency, what types of social clients you have? we just really love to learn a little bit more about you as we kick off this episode. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for having me. I love this podcast. And um, I'm really honored to be here right now. Um, so in terms of myself, um, I've been in the industry, I stopped talking about the number of years, um, but have, you know, really been um, in marketing and advertising for a long time and went into a management consulting um, phase where I ended up uh, really spearheading the agency side. And that was kind of like one of these things is not like the other, um, but a lot of a, a lot of the trends right now you're, that you're seeing are these consultancies coming together and with advertising, like with Droga, and you know, so all of that all of that experience has actually been great in terms of starting my own um, agency. The Craftsman Agency has been around since 2018. Um, I had another agency before that. Um, we really are a creative shop and we try to just create these magical moments, no matter what, uh, the platform. Um, but it is always, um, you know, social is in our DNA and it is always a critical part of every campaign that we do. Uh, we have clients really from high tech in Cisco, you know, names like that, all the way to media and entertainment for, you know, working on campaigns with Disney and Paramount and those kinds of brands as well. Um, and we do also have some consumer brands that we um, help um, both social and creative. That's amazing. And I mean, starting your own agency is not for the faint of heart, um, especially in the social media landscape. Ma massive kudos and so exciting, all the work that you're doing, which we're going to cover in a little bit. But what type of social media work and and projects do you all do? Again, um, you know, the landscape and creative, I know a lot of channels, a lot of touch points. Would love to just hear a little bit more about the work. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we really, um, we really do work in all mediums. So we do a lot of video and animation, um, you know, because that does perform well, really from a social media perspective. Some of those are bite-sized, some of it's, you know, longer form content. Um, we do have some work with what we call creators more than influencers. So we really focus on in our campaign, having some subject matter expert in some cases, even on the tech side, we'll bring in thought leaders. Um, and we also, you know, bring from a media and entertainment side and those kinds of consumer based campaigns, we're bringing artists to the fold. A lot of times the craftsman was built on the you know sort of notion that you could create something to tell the story in a different way and um, social lends itself so well for publishing uh, so that is where we really have found you know cross-pollination um, across really all the channels um, did you want me to address the channels that we deal with or is that gonna is, would that be something you'd want me to address a bit later 
I think we'd absolutely love to hear about the channels. We know there's a lot of new channels emerging, our TikToks of the world. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear some of the ways that you all are addressing channel management and creative across across that spectrum. Yeah, so we really do focus primarily on the content that's going to go on the channels um, and how is that going to tell a story. And then also really from looking at the channels themselves, uh, how do you tell the story for the nature of the platform? So Twitter is different than Reddit and, and different than Instagram. And so one of my pet peeves um, is really like if you're going to do social content, that it's the same exact post, no matter what platform you're on, uh, because that isn't thinking that isn't realizing that on the other end, there is that person and they're in that platform for a reason. And it is, you know, it is a different reason, even if they're following you on all of the platforms, they want different things from the brand. Um, so we really do and have done campaigns across all, I'd say we've spent a little bit less time with snap. It's a kind of a hungry content monster. And so that has made, um, a lot of our clients a little bit scared of that platform. Um, I, I go in and out. We've done a little bit on TikTok. That is certainly going to be a focus. Uh, we're starting to see some of TikTok age up a bit. And so when we're talking on like the you know, the high tech side, we have um, a really, you know, do have the audience there. It's just that for tech, the community probably isn't quite ready for that kind of brand when they first start to gain in popularity. That makes sense. So um, Twitter, you know, all the suspects um, and Instagram, we spend a fair amount of time on. I will say that more and more we spend less time working um, on Facebook or Meta. If you, well, yeah, it's so interesting to see how rapidly all of those channels have shifted over even just the last six months. Um, mm -hmm. Really, really fascinating. But even things that were there, even you know, a year, two years ago, you could start to see how that shift was happening. You know, and I think, Gina, we're going to get into some amazing campaigns you and the team have executed and exactly, you know, bring to life some of those things that you just mentioned and about how you're really working with those audiences and, and those algorithms to deliver some really, truly innovative, amazing campaigns. But I want to real quick, before we jump too far away from the craftsman agency and, and some of your structure, I have to ask this question because, of course, um, over the course of the last two years, remote work has become uh, new and novel to many people in the field, but not to your agency. You have been remote from the start, and you have a yeah. wonderful team of people who are based across the country. You even have a team member in Berlin. Um, and so I have to ask you, especially heading up an agency, being the chief creative officer, does remote work really kill creativity? Like so many sensationalized LinkedIn articles I've seen uh, lately come across my feed. Um, because I would argue, as we're going to get into, the answer for you would be absolutely no. But I'd love to see your take on that. Because we're starting to see a lot of these articles that are very, you know, like, you know, the remote work is killing creativity. It's harder to connect. You can't really be creative, especially in a social space where things are happening so fast. So would love to get your take on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that it is harder to have collaborative creativity 
in a remote environment, but I 100% think that it is possible. Um, I would say that we do come up and, you know, thank you for um, all of the nice kudos. I do think we do come up with ideas that are creative. Um, it's all for us about that. Maybe not the big idea, but the unique idea, the one that the brand or other people have not tried to, you know, do a piece of content. Um, so a really great example of that is like Lion King. Um, and that was definitely a good example of really a collaborative process in that we wanted to create uh, and work with creators around the globe to develop, you know, in their medium, really things tied to the characters in the film, um, all with food. So it was really food focused. And so we went with food art. Well, now, you know, the some of the food artists that we worked with have now done like five films, right? Where they've worked with studios, um, but we were kind of first to market. And one of the things that we're always trying to do is get to first to market, um, which does take really, a, really a, an effective brainstorming session and collaboration. We have all the tools. So I think that that's a big part of it. So having video calls, we have daily standups, which do a lot of times in the second half have brainstorming that is associated with it. We have Slack, uh, we hop on huddles and, you know, use all of those technologies to connect. And we, we like to think of Slack as almost like walking by someone's office or picking up the phone because it really does, uh, it really does help us interact that way. We also moved to completely, you know, Google and online and really collaborating. Um, and it's really funny because at first I didn't want to do our pitches on Google Slides um, because I was like, no, I just I, I do my story in a different way. I write it out and everything. And everybody's like, yeah, but we can't see your paper. So we can't really work together on that. So things like that, where I kind of acquiesced and I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. It's actually made us super efficient and the collaboration ends up being really great. Um, sometimes we're in the deck and not even talking to each other, but we're chatting and we, we end up having some great brainstorms that way as well. So absolutely. Very no, it's it's perfect. That was actually going to be my follow-up was how do you make that collaboration happen? Because as I mentioned, we're going to get into a lot of really great campaigns that you've done that are so creative and executed so well and really even just tap into um, clearly teamwork and coming together for some social campaigns. But um, I'm a massive fan of remote work and, and agree, you know, Convince and Converge is all 100% remote, same um, same model that you have established there as well. So sometimes when I see articles, I'm like, hmm, I wonder what, you know, is this really the case or have other people done this? Is it just, right. yeah, unique, but no, totally, uh, totally agree with you on that front. So then it sounds like really just to tie a bow onto the, onto the remote work and the creativity and collaboration piece of it. Um, it really is. It sounds like from your perspective, it takes more effort, but a hundred percent doable and doesn't, the work obviously doesn't have to be sacrificed just because you're not in the same room as someone. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, but don't relationships take effort, even if you're in person or remote anyways. So, I mean, in some ways, maybe, maybe it, it, it isn't all that much more difficult than just, you know, meeting someone and trying to work with them anyway. Like it's just a, relationships take time. Um, it always helps to be in person, but video calls really do make you feel like you're 
actually have been in person. Yeah, I think it's so amazing now to more and more clients, I think are comfortable developing those relationships with us when we're over video calls. There was a day and a time also, you know, at ICUC, we're a remote, remote agency too. So we feel that pain point. And there was a time where it was hard to really articulate some of the challenges of being at home, the dogs barking in the background, kids yes. you know, occasionally interrupting. And now those misadventures are being kind of widely accepted. And that gives this authenticity sometimes to our pitches or to our work uh, that has, has been really, really fun. But I spent a lot of time checking out the Craftman Agency's website you know, in preparation to get to talk to you a little bit more. And speaking of just the creativity and the collaborations that you've done, I mean, The Greatest Showman, The Lion King. Greatest Showman's probably one of my favorite movies of all time. I could sing it from the rooftops. Um, embarrassed to say it, but I can. The Eyes of Tammy Faye, one of the most unexpected but brilliant movies, truly, um, they came together, but would love to hear a little bit more. I saw Cruella was a, you know, a recent collaboration, any of those, can you tell us a little bit about how maybe one of those campaigns came together? Cause again, remote work, you know, all the things that you've talked about, about how the agency's grown and, and built these amazing relationships would just love to hear about how, how you build a campaign like one of those. Yeah. You know, I think that Corella is a great example, and I'd really like to talk about that um, because we also partner with publicity and the publicity agency. So we were we were really working on the integrated campaign, and part of that was really tying closely to publicity. And I feel like that really gave a boost to the campaign overall, uh, partly because sometimes we will do something really cool and it won't get covered by the press. So the fact that we were working with the team, uh, we were able to get some things into Stylecatcher and get you know some celebs to cover. Um, so I'll, I'll just kind of back up and talk about the campaign itself. So we had multiple touch points and one of the big kind of core points was, well, we were going to create something very large that would have taken would have been an you know an 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 activation installation like in person in New York, and at the same time, COVID was going off the charts. And so most clients really don't want to build something huge that you're going to be trying to drive bodies there right now. Like it just every time we see peaks, people get kind of um, jittery totally understand. And so we had to come up with a different idea. So it was sort of from the same concept of doing something with chocolate, but one of our team members uh, found this great artist, um, Drizzly in, in New York, and she makes these 12 inch like costumes out of chocolate. And we're like, that fits with Corella so perfectly. And this gives us an opportunity, you know, to to really send these to creators and influencers and press and, you know, and be able to get, you know, get these kind of really special boxes in the hands of people that would also share it on social. And so that was a great example of a collaboration that really worked with this artist as well as publicity. And then we also sent it to some of the creators that we work with. Um, and that ended up, that ended up just being a really great beat. We got some press coverage and also some great social currency. 
And then Disney also shared um, on Disney Eats, which that cross-pollination is really um, cool. That's where we posted a lot of the behind the scenes and really how you created these two, uh, these two costumes that we sent. The other piece of that that was really cool is we worked with publicity to do the AMA for with talent and that got a lot of great questions and it was on Reddit. And um, if people aren't aware, I'm sure most of the social pros are aware of um, Ask Me Anythings on Reddit, but it was actually a very friendly AMA. <laughs> so, um, so that was a really nice touch point as well as, you know, we did complimentary social posts that were were for it as well. And um, and then we worked with a couple of creators and uh, dog, dog, including dog and including drag, where we did collaborations and those were posted on social. And we got some really great, you know, kind of social love from that as well. I think it's incredible to hear these out of the box ideas. I think on social today, you have to be like the chocolate example. I think we really have to think creatively how we can do something that is on brand to the project we're working working on. Also visual. I mean, social media is just visual. But what I really love yeah. about that story too is driving home the impact and the power of those collaborations and those partnerships. And, you know, we just think it's really, really important that you have good lines of communication. You, you know, learn, I think what, of course the goals of the clients are, but Gina would love to hear from you a little bit more about your playbook to really optimize those partnerships and how you sort of build that working relationship. Is there a methodology? Is there, do they join your standups? How do you sort of build this fantastic relationship to groups like, um, like the one you were talking about, to pull off these major campaigns? Because it seems like that is, you know, for most of us who work in agencies can be really critical to success. Yes. So we, we worked, we had uh, calls with the other agency and also the other, like the, the total, um, you know, really the collective team across the Disney clients, as well as the agency. And we did that weekly. And, and some of that was brainstorming that we'd have se separate brainstorming sessions. Um, and we found that that was really effective in terms of, um, in terms of just really getting to this, this correct place. Um, we, from a creator standpoint, we don't typically bring them into the fold, like, um, for those bigger calls. Um, we just brief them and work with them and, and sort of present those concepts, um, once we've kind of approved them. So we go through that and figure out with the creator. So for instance, designer daddy is a phenomenal, um, costume designer and he, uh, he, you know, will come up with the concept, we'll tell him kind of the things that we want him to do. And then, um, and then he'll come back and he'll have a sketch for us. And it's always more brilliant than, than we could have even imagined. So that was true for Corella as well. So it's, it's kind of just different ways that we come together and collaborate, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, also, just want to note this campaign hits on some of my absolute favorite things in life, which are dogs, drag queens, chocolate, and Reddit. Um, so love this campaign in its entirety. Huge fan. But I would love to go back to one of the aspects that you mentioned. So obviously, continuing with collaboration as well, going back to that Reddit AMA, I have seen very successful Reddit AMAs. Um, I have also seen Reddit AMAs 
just absolutely tank and get hijacked by trolls. And especially, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag sometimes when you go into these things. So when you were planning this, what were some of the considerations that you you took into account for the AMA? Um, How would you recommend people who especially um, either, you know, um, agency partners to clients or even clients themselves start to approach Reddit AMAs? Because I feel like especially an AMA is really one of the most approachable ways for brands to get into Reddit in a very genuine and authentic space. But there is always that that um, sense, especially whenever Redditors get a whiff of anything too salesy, they like immediately reject it. So curious because you saw some fabulous success, your approach to it and what advice you would have for anybody who really wants to get into that. Yeah, 100%. I first of all cannot take really all of the credit for the AMA, I, I actually, the other agency drove a good part of it. Um, so we did help with the promotion of it and how we were going to publish across. And we did have a conversation about, you know, what we thought the risks are with the AMA and such, and, and you know, gave some pointers, but um, I never want to take credit when it's not due. Um, so it was definitely part of the beat and we did the creative and the promotion on it for social. Um, we have done other AMAs that have actually <laughs> have gotten, um, you know, really a mixed bag um, in terms of when you are working on tech. Now, we do have some clients that have a really rabid following on Reddit, um, but the trolls do definitely come in, um, in in those, especially if you do not have a subject matter expert. So I would say in in the case of the talent, that is where you have a subject matter expert. It's somebody that w- they want to exchange with. His character was beloved. So, you know, everyone want, wanted to really, it was really, really almost 100% positive. I, I, going through all of the comments when we did our analysis, it really was a very, very positive. Uh, we've had other ones where it is by and large positive because there is a really rabid force on Reddit. Um, but you're always going to have the haters. And I think we always just make sure that the person you're putting in that AMA is the person that can answer the questions without that sales fluff um, and without the marketing speak and the jargon. It has to be someone that is really talking knowledgeably about the product or the brand or whatever they're there to talk about and that they are really listening to the community and providing their expertise in a very, very, you know, I I really want to think of a different word than authentic, but that's the only one that I can, I think that all of us struggle with is transparency and authentic, you know, um, but really it's just being real Um, and that Reddit can see through it for sure. It's yeah, it's crazy how, but I it's yeah, it's crazy how they they sniff that out immediately on Reddit. But I mean, to your point, and also too, we know that you know sometimes some of your best moments with a brand or on behalf of a brand are in the responses, and that's a chance to build a relationship. So, um, to your point, you know, kind of having that subject matter expert there to really push back on that in in polite ways, obviously, but really somebody who knows their stuff um, can prove. Uh, without a doubt that no, this isn't just like a glossy sales thing um, happening on Reddit, I think I think is huge. The, the one thing as well with, you know, being genuine and authentic, 
as you mentioned, yes, every brand loves to be genuine, authentic. And that's something that we we kind of overuse. And it's a very generalized statement. But I think one of the things that I love is that the way that you all approach, you know, being genuine, authentic is with some of that surprise and delight. You know, you mentioned the chocolate with Cruella and those, those, the beautiful artwork. I mean, that is like surprise and delight. And it gives people a lot of good talking points. And it gives people these really good sort of organic places to start conversations. But I'm sure even as you, obviously, as you've noticed, even with surprise and delight in the way that algorithms are changing and the way that organic is shifting, it's obviously still continuing to become so much more pay to play. So I'm curious, how do you approach some of the um, surprise and delight with being genuine, authentic and still trying to make sure you're getting that organic reach, but then also trying to balance it with paid? So how do you kind of make sure you're still being visible even though you know sometimes these algorithms are working against you. Yes, oh, the algorithms. Um, and they do, they change all the time. It's like you can have something that works and then all of a sudden you'll, you know, you'll do the same tactic for another campaign, same brand, and it doesn't work. And you're like, why did that just happen? And then you start noticing that it is a lot to do with what, you know, obviously the platform changed. And that's one of the things that I always say, you can't be an expert in social um, because it changes too fast to actually be an expert. Um, so maybe you're an expert on one given day, <laughs> but um, but it is always ever evolving, which is one of the things I love about it as well. Um, we do recommend a lot of times, if you, especially if you're creating something that is like a high value piece of content or it's a content series that you do you do boost and you do have some pay to play. We also emphasize that you don't always have to have it be a large amount. Um, so from a Disney perspective, everything we do is organic or we'll create paid content, but another agency handles the paid. Um, so that is that can be the case really across our a lot of our uh, clients. We do handle some paid, although we kind of keep it hush hush. If we don't have the content and sort of the creative storytelling, then we don't don't really do those paid campaigns anymore because we really are focused on that organic reach and um, the organic reach, I guess, and really how to get to that audience and how to engage with that audience with those delightful moments. Um, so I would say that I, a lot of it's fine tuning. Sometimes we'll also go in, we've got, we know that we've got something that has potential. Maybe sometimes we'll even do a repost if we feel like, you know, it, it, it could benefit or you do a bundle of posts like these are our favorite things. And, you know, we we try a bundle post or something like that or tweet that can be an you know, effective way. Um, but yes, a lot of times you do have to do some boost with paid. I mean, it just that's just how the platforms are these days. Yeah, it does kind of feel like the nature of the beast is to expect the unexpected. I think any of us working in social, especially organic, have had those moments where you wake up the next day, you're doing a report, and your organic reach on Instagram is down, and you're like, how? Why? What? Give me explanations. And we're going into all of our forums and the geek out groups and asking each other, you know, did something happen overnight? Because all of a sudden we lost followers and our reach has changed. So it's definitely something I think as marketers, we all get, we're all united. Anyone who's listening, we feel you and we feel your pain, but really love your take on that. And, you know, and with that, and some of the challenges we're up against, another kind of hotly contested 
topic around social, especially organic, Gina, oh my gosh, I, I feel you, is just ROI. What is ROI in organic and how do you measure? Um, and I know our clients are kind of always working towards that. And we'd just love to hear from you, an expert, an agency leader who's you know working on these really big campaigns, a little bit more about how you discuss ROI and build sort of ROI with your clients um, as you're as you're talking to them about the campaigns, the success, the expected or unexpected, because again, social media is unexpected, um, yes. but about those outcomes. I would say it all starts with the objective. So we have, you know, you're going to have an objective in a campaign and it's either going to be tied to demand gen or awareness or both, right? So sometimes we do have some campaigns that kind of mix both, um, which always makes it a little interesting. Um, so in the cases where you're having direct response and demand, you have to have paid. Um, from an awareness standpoint, you're exactly right. It is so much more difficult to get people to to really agree that is just as important to focus on that organic content and those pieces of content. Um, we do actually have some clients that say that engagement, awareness, new followers, we're extending our reach, that those kinds of things really are happening and are helping in terms of, you know, the overall programs. There's a, there's a couple of things in terms of, you know, you see so many articles that people don't want to focus on brands and that happened a lot in COVID, right? And, and you now there's all these recession talks. And so, you know, people say, okay, we're not going to focus on brand. The flip side of the coin for social, it's always like, we're going to just, we're just going to drop organic and we're not going to do organic. But part of what we talk about is that if you are going to run a campaign and you're going to run paid and nobody knows who you are, you are going to basically spend and have a lot of ad waste because the people aren't going to convert and you're not going to get the right outcome. So focusing on that organic, and this is actually one of those places where we do collaborate and sort of think about what are those moments in social that you can really tap into creatively uh, for some kind of storytelling element that we we basically will create those really unique posts. Um, and sometimes you have, you know, the more basic content that is really not as creative, but it's part of the overall, you know, program. But then you'll have those kind of standout moments like holidays or, you know, and there's so many ridic ridiculous holidays like donut, you know, like we have, we've done things where you, you do content and you, it's tied to the first five people that tweet, we're going to give you a coat or we're going to send donuts to you, you know, via DoorDash or something. So there's different things that you can do. We always think that the engagement and the reach is, is, you know, really important from an ROI. Is it, is it easy to explain that to a CFO or a CEO or even a CMO? Not, it's not really. And I'd really love to have some more formal kind of, uh, earned media type of, you know, kind of model. Um, but it, I, we have just not gotten that done. So. Yeah. That value of the top of the funnel, I think we're always kind of, you know, scratching a little bit tooth and nail to describe it, but it's, it's how it's where it starts. It's how we build. And oftentimes it's the most memorable that, you know, when we get them down to the bottom of the funnel, they're kind of coming back to us and, and telling us about. So as marketers, again, I think we're, 
constantly sort of, you know, battling internally with ourselves, but then also, you know, trying to bring, bring these ideas to our clients and have those, you know, really important conversations too. You touched on, you know, interesting metrics around just engagement and reach. Are there any other favorite metrics you have? I mean, again, paid, we know is probably a little bit more straightforward, um, much easier to report that ROI on. But on that organic side, um, outside of, you know, just that engagement and reach, anything else that for our social pros, community listening that you think are important to report back? I mean, I think there's two other things on top of like, is your community, you know, engaging with you? Um, Are you expanding your community? Now, I'm a firm believer that you don't need to build really huge, you know, followings because typically your engagement does go down from an organic reach perspective. So it just depends to have a really large following if it applies, but you really want a relevant audience. You don't want that community to, you know, have any really people following you that might not sort of benefit from the content that you have. So, you know, sometimes having a, having a channel with like 5,000 followers if they are actually engaged and they're clicking through, so click through would be another one. Um, That's part of the engagement where they're, they're actually going to your site and they're, they're doing some of those follow-up activities based on that organic content. Um, The other one is, is your share of voice. So how much in sort of those organic conversations that are happening, how much of your share of voice is increasing against your competitors and how how does that translating? And one thing that's always pretty hard to tell is the sentiment. Um, but um, but can you tell overall? Is that sentiment you know is, is it favorable for your brand? You know, basically we talk about doing no harm. Did you do no harm in the social ecosystem? And we talked about Reddit. Sometimes you do have harm, um, but but there is there you know, there is that sort of notion that as long as you're doing no harm and it's relevant and you're tied, that that share of voice is is important um, and you're always going to have the haters. And so you, you take it, you take it, you look at the negative comments, you sort of evaluate it and then you do, you know, you do, sometimes you'll take action on it. Sometimes, sometimes it's just their haters and you just shouldn't address it at all. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing the sticky situations that we get into as social pros on some of these situations, no matter what. It's always, um, as you mentioned, I love just going back to never being able to really call yourself a social expert. You're just like an expert in the moment because, yeah, every day is different. Um, but absolutely love yes. the metrics that you outlined and, and just wanted to double down on the importance of having an objective. I think we're all there now, but sometimes I think it's hard, you know, we kind of blur out when we start to go in and measure and start to look at things like, you know, what actually is the really important takeaway here? Cause there is so much to measure and so much to look at. So absolutely love that. Um, Gina, one final question for you. And it goes back to some of really what we've been touching on this entire time, which is of course the craftsman agency is really all about creating those magical moments through custom experiential marketing and immersive storytelling for both B2B and B2C. When you think about um, creating those those storytelling moments and really telling that story for people out there who don't have Disney level budget or people who don't necessarily have 
a massive team or even, um, you know, a lot of um, really big creative brains like the Craftsman Agency behind them right now, where would you recommend people start digging in to try to tell their story and bring it to life on social and really start leaning into that direction? Yeah, that's, um, that's tough because, well, first of all, the notion of like social is free. I mean, when, when social started, everyone was like, it's free. We don't need to do events, you know? And I, I was always like, come on, it's all about integration. Um, so I think if you're on a tight budget, it's sort of getting yourself sort of that realistic cadence from a content standpoint. There are tools like Adobe Express and like if you have Creative Cloud already within your organization, that is new. the sort of new kind of um, Canva type um, and which is really effective. Or you can have Canva, which has a lot of templates and those kinds of things. We don't prefer to use templatized, but you can actually work with an agency or a freelance designer for that matter to create some of those some of those templates that you can use and really have, it will take you less time. So that's what we do a lot with like startups and people that have less budget is we create different things, you know, different templates and different kind of content series and and different things like that, that they can reuse and update. Um, My only caution there is don't keep using the same thing over and over again so that your channel looks completely the same. You want it to feel have the same tone and kind of feel, but but not the same exact post. Um, I think another place to start is honestly, get an intern. Um, interns are great. They're very social forward for the most part. Um, and they can create a lot of great content. They're probably going to know more than the, you know, the marketer within the brand, they're probably going to know more about TikTok and those kinds of more emerging platforms. Um, So that's also a great way to go. Um, And then also, you know, just because our, just because an agency looks like our budgets are not always huge for our work, we're just, we're given a budget and we try to figure out what we can do that's going to be the most impactful with that budget. And so I would also say, if you see an agency doing content, it doesn't ever hurt to ask. All they can say is no. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also to just coming around to your point on some of those aspects as well, you know, especially with the fact that social is becoming so much less polished and that is the norm now, it's okay to get scrappy Mm -hmm. and it's okay to be a little scrappy and test things out and try things and uh, just keep pivoting and repivoting. So absolutely love, love, love that approach. Oh, Gina Miknovich, thank you so much, CEO and Chief Creative Officer of the Craftsman Agency. Thank you so much for being on the Social Pros Podcast today. It was such a delight to talk to you. Thank you. Very much enjoyed it. I really appreciate the time. Yes. And of course, you know that we cannot let you go unless we ask you the final two questions that we have asked all 500 plus plus guests of the Social Pros Podcast. So are you ready, Gina, for the final two questions? Yes. All right. Question number one, what is one piece of advice you would like to give anyone who wants to become a social pro? Um, Use social yourself. (laughs) So we have some people that maybe don't use social. (laughs) Um, It's really hard to do social media if you're not passionate about it, I think. 
So um, if you if you think you want to be a social pro, really get in there and start creating content for yourself. Have some you know some position. Um, but I would say that's my biggest my biggest hint. That is an incredible piece and very important piece of advice. I signed up for Discord. I'm learning all the things you never know. Um, truly such good advice. Gina, question number two, a video call with any living person, who would it be? Ryan Reynolds. I just saw him talk about storytelling and he is a genius, marketing genius. Um, like some of the things that they've done for on social for like Aviator Gin, uh, just brilliant. Um, so Ryan Reynolds for sure. I'm not entirely sure anybody has said Ryan Reynolds before. Maybe, maybe one other person, but I agree. That would be a really, really fun conversation and just kind of get into his brain for a little bit. I think it would be really entertaining. Yeah, he's, um, he really is one of the better marketers, even though it's, you know, it's kind of like a side job for him. Yeah. Um, I'm sure, um, that's probably why he, he has lots of, uh, he's in a very creative environment all the time. He's probably seeing all these things happening. So he's been able to probably learn from the best of the best as well. So, um, fantastic. Um, Gina, thank you so much again for being here. This was genuinely fun. And thank you so much, um, for all of the amazing insight into, um, how you and the rest of the team at the Craftsman Agency operate. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it. And yeah, no, we appreciate your time. Absolutely. Um, and to our social pros audiences, we appreciate you being here week after week with us as well. Thank you so much for tuning into this conversation today. We will, of course, be back again next week with another one of what we hope is your favorite podcast in the whole wide world, Social Pros. <laughs>